All right. If we could start kind of making our way back to our seats. Let me uh, let's let's pray again, and then we will we will get into the word. Father God, again, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this this joyous day, um, God. We we celebrate the resurrection of your Son um, every day. Um, and every Sunday, but God, especially on this day, we thank you um, that he is risen. Um, we thank you that uh, because of him, we have a living hope um, of, of not only forgiveness, um, but of an eternity in relationship with you. God, thank you for all your many blessings. God, thank you for the churches all around Blount County this morning um, who are, are waking up and getting going, who are worshiping together, um, who from, from classrooms and pulpits where the gospel is bring, being preached, um, where the message of salvation through Jesus Christ is, is working. Um, God, we pray for, for all those people all around our county who are, who are visiting churches this morning, um, who are at um, churches that they have never been at before, um, people who have never been to church before, um, people who are hearing the gospel message for the first time. We pray that you would use this Sunday um, as a special time to draw people close to yourself, um, to convict people um, of their sin, um, and to uh, open their eyes to um, the glory and the grace that we have uh, in Jesus Christ. God, we ask that your spirit would work in our county. We ask for revival. We ask that you would work and move and call people to yourself. God, in this time, as we look into your word, we again ask that your spirit would move among us, that you would um, open our eyes to this text, that you would um, warm our hearts to it, that we would see it and you and ourselves um, in a new light, um, that we would see it in a biblical light, and that um, we would be changed because of those things. God, do this in our lives um, as we study together. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you've got your Bible, um, turn to Second Peter chapter 1, and stick a finger in there. Um, and then we're also going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in, in what's called the love chapter um, in 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to kind of be going back and forth. Um, and I want to, I'm, I'm going to make a connection between those two things. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, um, you know that we've been in, in second Peter chapter one, and we've been, we've been talking about this idea of making every effort. All right. Making every effort to grow in our sanctification, making every effort to grow in our Christ likeness. And we see something in that passage, especially there in verses five through seven, where it has this idea um, of of how we are to grow. Now we've said um, before it is uh, this this growth that we're talking about. Um, it is not something that we're doing in our own power. It's not just something we are doing because we are, are making it happen on our own. No, it is a spirit powered, gospel driven 
faith-fueled kind of effort um, that we are making. And But at the same time, we are still called to make an effort. We are still called to pursue these things. And so chapter 1, verses 5 through 7 says that we are to add to our faith virtue, and to our virtue, knowledge, and to our knowledge, self-control, and to our self-control, perseverance, and to our perseverance, godliness, and to our godliness, brotherly kindness. And that's what we've talked about up to this point. And now we come to this last passage, this last word, and it says, now we add to our brotherly kindness, love. And so what I want to share with you briefly briefly is, is two thoughts today. It is, it is first that love, that word love that we see at the end of that, that passage, um, the Greek word agape, um, that love is the culmination and sort of the combination of all those other things that we've talked about. All right, that that faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness and brotherly kindness, that love is all those things brought together. It is what we are being sanctified to. Ultimately, you could say, right, it is the goal to which God is working us in our sanctification. But also and the second point is this also that it is what we are being sanctified by. That Jesus is not only our exemplar, but he is our righteousness. And the fact that he has loved us first is the thing that is changing us, right? The love that Jesus has poured out for us is a transforming kind of love. All right, so let's talk about the first one. First, that love is the culmination and the combination of these traits. You can even say it is the completion of, of these of these things. So in a culture that has very, um, very varied um, ideas about what love is, right, what love const- is constituted um, by, um, the scriptures present, uh, present a very specific understanding of love, right? And that's important because, at least for a couple of reasons, one, it's critical that we see what love truly is because the scriptures tell us that God is love, right? And so therefore to misunderstand love is to misunderstand God. If you don't know what love is rightly, then you don't know who God is rightly. And moreover, the scriptures teach us that the two greatest commandments for us are to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love our neighbors as ourselves. And so again, if we don't know what love is, then we are incapable of actually doing what the scriptures have commanded us to do. And so we see in the scriptures that those commands and love itself are neither vague nor subjective. Okay. Because God, because in the scriptures, God has defined for us what love is. And so again, we're going to kind of be bouncing back and forth between first Corinthians 15, uh, first Corinthians 13 and second Peter chapter one. And so many of you are probably familiar with that 1 Corinthians 13 passage because you hear it, honestly, you hear it at weddings a lot of times, right? Like it is this passage that is often read at, at wedding services. And so it's probably one of those passages that even people who aren't in church or familiar with the scriptures, they hear a lot because they hear it at weddings and things like that. Um, so let me read it for you. And if you're, if you're there, you can kind of read along. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. If I speak... With the tongues of angels and men, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, 
it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So here's what I want you to see first, that that description of love that we see in 1 Corinthians 13 is reflected almost perfectly in the characteristics of sanctification that we have been looking at over the past few weeks, okay? So think about them and go through them as, as with me as, as I go. So the first thing we are to add to our faith is virtue, it says in, in 2 Peter. We are to make every effort to pursue f- virtue, and then we find that love is what? In, in 1 Corinthians, it says it does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, right? That's what virtue is, um, to not act unbecomingly, to act appropriately, to not act unseemly or, or in an inappropriate way. Um, it is to, virtue is to not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoice in what is good. And so we notice something that, that, that connects here, right? Love is virtuous. All right. Love is also full of knowledge. Love rejoices in the truth. That passage tells us Um, we see that as we add to our virtue knowledge, um, that knowledge that comes is a a, a real knowledge. It's always going to be grounded in what is true. It's not going to be grounded in what is a lie. Okay. again, that's important. What does that mean? It means love is in, in is connected to the truth. So therefore, love is knowledgeable. It knows. Okay. Love is self-controlled. We add to our knowledge self-control, and we find that love is self-controlled. What does it say? It says, love is not easily provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered, right? It does not just react to a world that sins against it and offends it, but it is governed by, really by those two other things that we've already talked about, three other things, faith, virtue, and knowledge, Okay, so love is a self-controlled thing. If you have love, if you say you have love and it is not self-controlled, then you have a misunderstanding of what love is. And not only is it self-controlled, but it goes on to say it it is steadfast, right? We add to that self-control steadfastness or perseverance. And we see that very thing again in the first Corinthians passage. Love is patient, right? Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love perseveres because love is steadfast. And so you start to see that all these things come together and they are all subsets of, of love, really, right? So we've probably been talking about them. You've been listening to them thinking, oh, I need to be more virtuous or I need to be more knowledgeable or I need to be more self-controlled. But they're all a function of the greater um, thing that is we need to be loving, right? We need to be filled with love. Those four points we talked about earlier in this whole series, the idea that they are, that, that's kind of what makes up our inner holiness, right? Um, that idea that we are inner, and our inner being and our character, we are set apart to those things. Um, but it is, it is, what we noticed as we come across these, as we go further through the passage, it's not just that we are to be set apart in the inner man. 
Okay, so a lot of times in, in Christianity, you'll have people who basically feel like, you know what I should do to get closer to God? That should mean that I turn inward and I think more and, and I, and I uh, act a certain way and I'm, and I'm more focused on my inward life to the exclusion of other people. And so we talked about how there's monastic traditions and stuff that say, you know what the best way to be close to God is? To get away from all people, right? And to just focus on your own kind of spirituality. And that's how you, how you become closer to God. But you know what? We notice something that that can't be the case, not only because of what we find out in Second Peter, but because of what we find out in this passage, too. So look in, in chapter 13, in verse 1, it says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and I know all mysteries and have all knowledge, and if I have all faith even... So is to remove mountains, but I do not have love. I am nothing. Right? Isn't that an incredible thing to say? That someone who is, who has all faith, has all knowledge, we could even say has all virtue, has all self-control, has all perseverance, and yet does not have love, that person is nothing. They've missed something about the nature of what God is calling us to. Love can't just be inward. It can't just be holy on the, in the inner man. It must be godly. And we talked about how godliness basically is a picture of um, that holiness pushed outwards, right? That holiness acting towards other people, serving and loving other people. And in fact, we see that in that same passage. But you know what? We see the converse of it, too. Because there's a whole lot of people in the world who would say, man, it doesn't really matter about what's going on in here or what you do in your personal life. Love is about how you treat people. Right. And love is about how you how you act out here. OK, but guess what? If that's the only piece you have, too, you're missing something, too. It has to be both. It has to be a change in the inner man and a change in your the way that you engage with the outside world. So what we see in first Corinthians, he says, even if I give all my possessions to feed the poor and if I surrender my own body to be burned. That is like a martyrdom. Right. But I do not have love. It profits me nothing. Okay, and so you see those two things. Typically, the way it works is people of a liberal persuasion say love is about what you do on the outside. It's the way you help people and serve people or whatever. And then conservative types usually say, no, love is about what I do and holiness is about what I do on the inside. Right. And the scriptures say you're both wrong. Um, it's both of those things to be full people, to be people who have been completely sanctified. We have to be people who are changed on the inside and in the way that we treat those on the outside. And so we begin to see what God is drawing us to with that next phrase when it says, add to your godliness, brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness is is there is it's it's more than just character. Right. It's more than just inner. It's more than just the way you treat people. It's more than just action. Right. Brotherly kindness tells us that it is about care. It is about affection. It is about connection and intimacy. Right. It's about the fact that if I am being brotherly kind to somebody. Right. It's not just that I'm serving them, although that's part of it. And it's not just that I'm a certain kind of person on the inside. It's that I have a new kind of care and affection for that person. Right. That person is not just an, uh, a stranger to me, that they are a brother. They are somebody that I love the way um, I, I would love my own family, that I would love my own um, brother. Love is kind, the scriptures say, right, in that 1 Corinthians passage. Love is not jealous, 
right? Jealousy sees other people as accessories to your own life. It's concerned with them only to the extent that they can augment our own lives. That's what, that's what jealousy looks like, right? But kindness is concerned with the good of others, right? Their welfare for its own sake. The care that you would see again for a brother or a friend or a sister, right? Not just a stranger. And so that brings us all these things together. All add and combine to this one point where we say, and to your brotherly kindness, add love. And that word again, love, is, is not just um, a generic word for love. It is the, the Greek word agape, which means a holy love, right? A divine love, an unconditional kind of love. That is what we are working towards in our sanctification. These aren't isolated characteristics that we've been talking about, but they're all leading up to and are all bound up in love. And again, not just any love, but a virtuous, believing, knowledgeable, self-controlled, steadfast, servant-hearted, sacrificial, caring, intimate love. That's what God is working in us. That is what he is sanctifying us to. And and that agape... Um, that agape is this idea of an unconditional love, right? It's easy in many ways to love our family. It's easy to have brotherly kindness, right? You're already naturally connected to certain people, your friends and your family and stuff like that. On one side, it's easy to have that. Obviously, it's not always, though. We know that in our, with our friends and family. Sometimes it's even a struggle to have that brotherly kindness. But the interesting thing is agape says, you don't just owe that to your friends and family, though. You owe that to everybody. You owe that to your to strangers. In fact, you owe that to your enemies. You owe that unconditional love even to them because that is the kind of love that Christ has shown us. That unconditional love is what God is working us towards. Um, it's what um, where we need to be. It is the end towards which we are making every effort in the faith. So that love is what we are being sanctified to. But like I said at the beginning, it's also what we are being sanctified by. And that's the distinction. It is that love that God is showing to us that is changing us. It is the thing, the operating principle in our lives that is making us more like Jesus. Right? The scriptures say we all with unveiled faces are beholding the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So what does that mean? It means as we behold Jesus, as we witness the love that he has had for us, that that is a transformative love. That as we see it, it begins to change us. And we grow what from one glory to another. That's exactly what we've been talking about. Um, that sanctification process of growing step by step, little by little, forward progression to Christ's likeness. So again... It's painfully obvious, probably for all of us, um, that we fall short in these things, right? We look at that list of characteristics, we look at those, those, that list of sanctification um, characteristics, and we miss the mark and fail over and over again in all those things. In virtue and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and certainly in love. We do that all the time. We fail. But here is the thing. There is one person who has not failed, Right? Jesus has loved and Jesus is love. And he has loved us fully and completely and biblically and righteously. In Christ, 
perfect love has been displayed to us, right? Perfect love has been accomplished, in fact, for us. Perfect love in holiness and in godliness has been lived out in our place, and it is also the thing that is making us new, if we've trusted in it. And so again, what I want you to look at is this. As we go through those, those characteristics, we see that Jesus is the epitome of all of them. Jesus is the only one who has done them well and rightly and fully. Jesus is the only person who is ultimately virtuous. Jesus is the only one who is the spotless lamb without mark or without blemish. Jesus is the one who became sin for us even though he knew no sin, right? That he had lived a perfectly obedient life. Only Jesus is virtuous. Only Jesus is perfect in knowledge and perfect in truth. Only Jesus is not only our prophet, priest, and king, but he is our sage. That's something that we don't talk about a whole lot. Um, But he is our wise man. He is our magi. The scriptures tell us that the queen of the south came to Solomon because she heard that he was this this great person of wisdom and she wanted to come and, and bear witness to his wisdom. And then the scriptures tell us this. And somebody greater than Solomon has come. Right? Somebody wiser than Solomon has come. Somebody more knowledgeable than Solomon has come, and that is Jesus. Only Jesus could preach before priests and kings and prostitutes and tax collectors at the same time. And the common refrain from all of them would be that this is a man who speaks with authority. Right? He's not just babbling stuff that he's heard before. He speaks like somebody who actually knows these things. Right? Jesus is the only one who is self-controlled. Only Jesus has been steadfast through all temptation. Only Jesus has been tempted to the fullest. Only Jesus, knowing the pain and the torture and the wrath of God that was to be poured out on him as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, only Jesus, when everything in his human nature wanted to avoid the horror of the coming cross, only Jesus controlled that human nature, right, and brought it under the divine will. Only Jesus has been self-controlled. Only Jesus has persevered. Only Jesus has been faithful through a life of rejection and humiliation and deprivation. Only Jesus has been mocked and spit upon and tortured. Only on Jesus did they heap abuse and yet he did not retaliate. Right? He did not attack in return. He endured the shame and the pain of the cross. And committed his life and death and suffering into the hands of the Father. He persevered through all those things. Only Jesus is ultimately godly. The scriptures tell us, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God to be grasped. Which makes it sound like he's not godly, but it's the opposite. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. What does that mean? It means that Jesus didn't sit back and say, I'm content to be awesome here in heaven by myself. He said, I am going to step down into your problems, right? I am going to be the ultimate missionary. I'm going to come and not only serve, but pour my life out for you as a ransom, as an offering, as a sacrifice. That's what godliness is. It is taking that inward character and, and acting out to your neighbor in, 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 in a loving way. Brotherly kindness. Only Jesus has been a true brother to us. Only Jesus who desires what is best for us and is willing to come alongside us and again to step into our suffering and bear a burden and to love us 
with a, with a brotherly affection and a care and a concern for our ultimate good. Only Jesus would do that, and not just do that, but at the cost of his own life and his own happiness. Only Jesus loved enough to do all this, not only for his friends, not only for his people, but for his enemies. For people who already were rebels, people who already hated him and rejected him, you and I, right? We are those people. The song says, we are the hands that drove the bitter nails and hung him on that judgment tree, right? That's who we are. And yet Jesus Christ has loved us with an unconditional, sacrificial, dying and resurrecting kind of love. That is love. Love fully displayed and love freely given to us. That's what Resurrection Sunday is about. That's what Easter Sunday is about. It is recognizing that the thing that Jesus is calling us to, he has already accomplished for us. Right? He has already perfectly fulfilled. Again, that doesn't mean that we say, well, cool, if he's done it, then I'm just going to sit back and do nothing. No, that's exactly what we've been talking about. He calls us to Christ-likeness. He says, be like me. I have loved you first. Now you love in response to that. You love those around you. Um, you become the people that I've called you to be. And so I'll, I'll close just with this. It's a simple question. Have you received that love? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ? as your Lord and Savior? Have you trusted in him as the person to model your life after and the person whose life, death, and resurrection is the reason why you live? Have you turned from your sin and turned to Jesus Christ? If that's a decision that you have not made, let me, let me invite you to do something. Come talk to me after service. Um, come talk to me and let me share with you, and let's sit down and kind of go through what that means, what Jesus Christ has done and, and, and the invitation that he makes and, and wants to make a claim on your life. Come talk to me about that after the service. But right now, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and, and we'll, we'll have our musicians come back up and we'll be closed. Father God, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that there, if there is anyone here who do, does not know your Son as their Lord and Savior, God, that you would change their heart even in this moment. God, that you would draw them to yourself, that you would open their eyes to their own sin and failings and shortcomings. God, that you would open their eyes even more to the goodness and perfection and grace and love that has been shown to us uh, by your son, Jesus. God, let us turn from that life of sin and turn to our Savior. God, I pray that, again, if there is anyone here who does not know that gospel message, that they would believe it this day. God, for those of us who already know your son and who are already um, followers of him, 
whose lives have already been changed by him. I pray that we would live these kind of lives that are marked by this sanctification. God, that you would add to our faith virtue and add to our virtue knowledge and add to our knowledge self-control and add to our self-control perseverance and add to our perseverance godliness and add to our godliness brotherly kindness and add to our brotherly kindness, love, not just for our families, not just for our church, not just for our friends, but for our neighbors, for our community, for the world. God, help us to be those people as we follow you in our daily lives. We love you. We praise you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and sing our closing hymn with us.